Ho, ho, ho. It's the holiday Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, uh, every other miss type episode of the Weekend Sports Cars. I'm Marshall Pruitt. Eh, whatever. You know who's really important, who we love the most, who brings class, brings intelligence, brings a husky to the show each week. That is my brother on the other end of the line. That is the, all caps, Graham Goodwin. Merry Christmas, brother. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, the Husky's not loving his tinsel collar, I can tell you that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I gave, it gave you that look that only a dog could give you, the kind of, why? Why have you done this to me? I give you just un, undivided love, and you do this to me. But there you go. Merry Christmas, all, from the currently stranded island of the United Kingdom. Um, mm. uh, well, where are we? You know what? I'm not going to look forward to the next couple of days for Christmas. We're going to look back on this episode, what? aren't we, Marshall? Because we did ask. We asked our faithful listener, and others joined in, um, to just give us an idea of some of the kind of the uh, the feel of this most extraordinary of years. Keep the politics out of it. Keep the COVID out of it as much as we possibly can. But this most extraordinary year, the best, the worst, you know, the greatest, the uh, all of that. So it's a sort of quick fire review of an extraordinary year that we're going to get into for the next hour or so um i think before we do that though we have got some other thank yous we do thank you to all you i mentioned this on my weekly indycar show somewhat often i don't do it enough here we really do appreciate you because we love doing this show And Graham and I just getting on the phone and talking to one another about the race that just happened or whatever it might be, we do that. But it certainly doesn't warrant recording the damn thing. Uh, It's y'all and the questions you send in each week and the fun little community that uh, has assembled and the piss that you take out of us and all the fun stuff that makes doing this show every week a genuine blast. And we also appreciate, Graham, I think I'm safe including you in this. Unlike my Week in IndyCar show, which is just me and my schedule at pretty much any time, which can make that, this sometimes with the Week in Sports Cars, I might have a crazy week where I'm unavailable for most of it. Graham could be traveling, not able to hit as a consistent a publishing date as we would like, but you know what? Y'all hang with us and seem to understand. So even more appreciation for uh, writing with us, whether it's published on a Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, hell, sometimes the following week, or it might be a week or two. You never know. Uh, Another thing, Graham, just to express serious thanks, Cooper Tires. Uh, They are back next year, which is amazing. So again, I believe that's year four. Justice Brothers are back, torontomotorsports.com. I mean, they're never going anywhere, so uh, that's pretty darn cool. Uh, just really happy. Yep. Yeah, really happy. Our cats, too, uh, have recently signed deals with Rocky and Rosie, so uh, slight increase. Yeah, well, their kibble demands getting to be a little outrageous, but nonetheless, things are looking good, brother, really looking good for the future. So why not then turn this show into a step up to the microphone dear listener format here going into uh, 
the 25th. And next week, I think we're going to do awards. I think we're going to do our first award show. And this is the one where, before we get rolling into questions, Graham, I'm sorry, answers uh, more than questions, we would love for you to submit your ideas for award categories. Also, while you're submitting those, if you got ideas of who those awards might go to, let us know. And it could be specific for a series. It could be for all sports car racing. I'm looking at a couple of my staples, the golden bowling ball, right? Who knocked the hell out of more drivers than anybody during the year. Uh, Mr. Invisible, right? The driver who was uh, at the race, but not in the race more than any others. Could be talking about a comeback driver, comeback team, maybe a breakout driver or team for the year. Again, in whatever series, most improved, uh, virtual racer of the year, person who said the best, most interesting or funniest thing during an iRacing event, person who maybe <laughs> ended their career or did themselves serious damage by opening their mud flap uh, during an iRacing event. I don't know. So look, as we often do, we pull a lot of this stuff out of our backside. So the first annual season ending uh, weekend sports cars awards. We need your help. Give us ideas. Give us categories to pose. Uh, so send those to us on the good old tweeters or the Facebook or the whatever, and then we will use those, compile those, and send that out early next week, asking for y'all to give us your winners. Name the winners yep. for who did the most damage behind the wheel of a race car, or to their career by opening their mouth, <laughs> or whatever it might be. So we're looking to you. Give us your award categories. That's going to be the basis of next week's show. Absolutely. That will be online as soon as Marshall and I have emerged from our our respective cheese comas uh, post-Christmas. That snack plate is being assembled now with the heavy machinery up at DSC headquarters. I can see the life-size brie actually now being put on that plate. So uh, I'll be digging into that in the next couple of days. Uh, For now, though, uh, we did throw that challenge out for you to just tell us how your year had been, what impressed you, what didn't impress you, uh, what added a plus, what uh, basically opened up the massive sack of unmentionables. And with that in mind... This is a a family-friendly show. If you could avoid (laughs) the, the, the... Sack references, Goodwin. Jesus. Fair enough. Sorry. Christ, my man. Uh, no, just, I'm, I'm sorry. Massive sack. Uh, I massive. believe I played in that band too uh, in junior college. Massive so. sack. We yes. were massive, massive sack out there. Out there yes. Remix. Yes. Um, it certainly wasn't a 12 inch single. Uh, there you go. Uh, let's go for start with favorite races. Now, there was one. Races or racists? Because those are two categories no, that have, would apply to racing. No favorite racists. None at all. Okay. No, that's not, um, we're going to go with, we've got one, two, three, four, five. Daniel Summersgill has nominated one in every single because, um, yes. major series. That's a very Daniel six. Summersgill thing. We love you, Daniel. Thank you. Five or six. Um, we'll come to the one that's got most nominations, sort of last. But let's start with Daniel. Daniel nominates for the best race. WC at Le Mans. I would say, good call. LMP2 was epic. Absolutely epic. Uh, GTE classes were both very, very good. And boy, it was good to get trackside at Le Mans. That's not, by the way, uh, meant as a thumb to the nose to everybody else. But 
that couldn't go there. You were sorely missed, but uh, hopefully you managed to kind of follow things along. It wasn't a bad race, MP. I don't know how much of it you managed to see, but it wasn't a bad race. Uh, and at times, as I say, LMP2 was a very good race. To watch the listen to part, uh, again, I think that might be... Uh... You know, I think we just came up with an. I got to grab my little post-it note. I think we came up with another category for awards. Uh, favorite uh, portion of the Eurosport broadcast at Le Mans. Jesus, that might take a whole separate episode. Um, was, it the, was it the credits? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I'm no joke. I'm making this note right here. Sorry, Mark Cole. We love you. Don't take a personal. Uh, uh, that Brie, Graham's going to cut off a wedge of Brie. If you can do that to Bree and send that to you just to let you know that we love you. Um, yeah, there were, I mean, can we name a Le Mans that has not had at least one class that starred? I mean, there have been years where it seems like every class or most of the classes were really often kicking, but uh, even if it's a bit of a processional boring year in general, usually one class that uh, delivers in P2. It's been that for a little while now. It, it has. It stepped up, and it's interesting. I mean, today we're recording this um, this show day before Christmas Eve here in the UK, and, of course, today we've had the confirmation of the news that you and I have known a little wee while, um, but confirmation of the terms of it that Aston Martin are pulling out of GT Pro, another class that at Le Mans for, well, some little while. Remember, GT Pro only goes back as far as 2012, but uh, for many of those years, it has doled up some astonishing action, absolutely amazing action. And Aston Martin pulling out their GT Pro uh, effort from that um, for next year and moving forward as their financial uh, rescue package sort of dictates the, the way forward being a kind of Lawrence Stroll guided uh, move towards Formula One. Um Happily, by the way, uh, for those that haven't had the opportunity to dig into this one, and we'll come back to them on in a moment, should make very clear. My understanding is not one single one of their factory drivers is going to be out of contract. So they will, those guys will still be finding gainful employment. And in this current uh, climate, that's very, very good news. Secondly, multiple GTE AM privateer uh, entries expected for the WEC this coming year. But I think we are, MP, beginning to see the end of the GTE Pro story pretty rapidly now at Le Mans and elsewhere. I think it will stagger on uh, for um, a year or so uh, in WEC, GTLM in pretty dire straits as well on your side of the, the pond. But that, I fear, is maybe a class that we have seen the best of um, and that we are looking forward to a very different structure for the race in the future. LMP2, I think, will be with us for uh, a while yet, but I th I'm hoping we can still look forward to some real glory days at the front of the pack with competition in numbers, and still we're seeing more and more indications that those numbers are going to be impressive by the time we get to 2023. Indeed. Let's see. Did you, uh, what else are we going to get to here on Daniels? Did we get to all of Daniels bits here? Uh, Dan, Dan just says, that a race I have to say didn't watch, but you you can tell me if you did, which was the IMSA race at Road America, he says was his favorite there. Wacky, uh, yeah, rain, the lovely rain turning everything upside down at the close there. Oh yeah, that great choice, Daniel. 
Well, oddly enough, the uh, the other uh, the race that he picks is the LMS race. Paul, what is uh, Paul Ricard too? That was a replacement race. Uh, the Le Castellet 240, um, our second visit to Paul Ricard for the LMS. And again, that was a race into darkness that uh, rain played a part in. And an epic, epic fight. Uh, fight back for the lead from the United Autosports 22 crew that came away with that title. Um, that was an absolutely extraordinary race. There was drama throughout, big shunt um, in the darkness that uh, ended up with uh, Defani's roof, I seem to remember, in an Algar Pro uh, car after uh, contesting you know, a, a pretty good place there, four or five car incidents that saw cars all over the place but that was a cracker as well there has been you know mp in this crazy year with back-to-back racing just everywhere some really good racing the problem for me you know trying as i have been to keep on top of most of it is it's a bit of a blur you know i had a long conversation with uh, one of the team uh, principals at a team called optimum motorsports uh, based here in the uk that run um McLaren GT3 cars, and I think I've said on the show previously, they had 17 consecutive racing weekends. Uh, some of their team personnel did not go home for 17 weeks um, that they're on the road with the cars in the transporters, doing the rounds on mainland Europe. And it's been an absolute whirl. Uh, so, yeah, um, pulling out of the fire a, an opportunity to actually get uh, that fifth race in. Uh, replacing Barcelona, which had been rather more locked down. That's a cracking race. Before we get into the one that has won it on the numbers here, there's one more. It was one that I've got a bit of a personal involvement in. Um, and it came before that fire break uh, that was the COVID lockdown. This one comes from Jackie Warnock. Um, Jackie, uh, stuck over there at the moment in Adelaide. Poor devil, stuck in Adelaide in the sunshine. That mm-hmm. must be Awful, Jackie. Must be absolutely terrible for you. Um, but uh, Jackie says she's going to choose her own category. Says the end of the 2019-2020 Asia Le Mans series was epic. First race in Australia we had, and uh, then we raced into the night after the giant storm in Sepang. Incredible battles in the season finale at Buriram. She says she's not biased at all. That's because Jackie does the social media for Asia Le Mans. Yeah. And she's right. It was one hell of a end of the season. Um, in Asia Le Mans. Absolutely loved every single moment of dealing with that one, uh, going down under the bend. The the joy, MP, of being there with a fan base, most of whom had never seen an LMP car race, had never seen an LMP car in the carbon fibre ever. And I I remember standing on the balcony overlooking the, the pits with a guy somewhat older than me, so I'm, I would estimate this guy was late 60s, early 70s, and I kid you not, with tears in his eyes, uh, watching these cars come blasting by, uh, the Gibson engine LMP2 cars. And we had one of those conversations, absolutely private conversation, that I will remember and treasure always. And it was the pure passion of somebody that has got the Le Mans gene, having the opportunity to see these cars and some of these people race at his home track for the first time ever. Sir, if you are listening, I hope we get to come back in a year or two's time, and that most certainly is the plan. Moving from there to the astonishing scenes in Sepang with uh, the the most torrential storm I've seen from nowhere um, 
in my entire life. Jackie was actually on the grid for that one, and it was a literal wall of water followed by a violent thunderstorm that took out most of our trackside cameras, uh, actually direct lightning strikes on two of them with a couple of our camera operators injured. And we ended up covering that race with, I think, two of our 14 cameras still operational. Uh, our studio knocked out and myself and my co-commentator Jivan uh, literally in a broom cupboard with one hand bike that's what we had to cover a four hour race we didn't get it all completely right but we had fun trying and then Buran was just just a great uh, finish to what is becoming a really neat and tidy compact season so Jackie spot on with that one but I'm going to throw it to you um, for the race that uh, a fair number of our listeners um, have actually chosen as my computer decides to log me out. So I'm logging back in now. Uh, and Kevin Perez, Federico, uh, John Wojnar, Alex Eichmiller, amongst those that have actually se- selected the um, 12 Hours of Sebring. Uh, Kevin says his favourite moment would be the one-two punch of the factory Porsches. And the lone customer team of Wright's Motorsport taking both class wins. Uh, John says... Uh, the hang on, what does he say here? He says Sebring uh, highlight the season. There uh, was a season ender at Sebring. Amazing seeing the strategy in play. And Alex, uh, he says his favourite race was Daytona 24. The Road Atlanta six hours and made a higher series because he was there. Seriously though, Sebring was as drama filled a race as I can as I can remember. I think you followed that one. It seemed to me, and I wasn't following it minute by minute, but every single time I checked in, there'd been another massive, and I mean massive, drama. Definitely speaks to, Graham, the ending the season at some form of very difficult track and one that lends itself to high stakes. And we have, like Daniel Summerskill mentioned, uh, a random race that, most people didn't watch because it's a small series. Most people don't know about the Mission Le Mans Cup uh, at Monza, mentioning how much he loved that. Lots of action, safety cars, accidents, wheels falling off, controversy, great race. And it's what he mentions here, worst race. Uh, IMSA, Laguna Seca, it was dull, most action and practice. That just comes to mind because two years ago, uh, we had what I believe it was, was it 2018, 2019, uh, Laguna Seca was supposed to be IndyCar season finale, Graham. And it was, and oh boy, it sucked. It was just nothing. <laughs> there was nothing to it. There was almost no passing. There was a title to decide and the layout of the circuit, the low grip, uh, just, it's a place that you rarely see amazing four-wheeled competition take place. Uh, thankfully, this past season, I uh, know we're talking IndyCar here, but its finale was moved to St. Petersburg Street Race. Well, we know most street races can be a bit of a crash and bang and, and drama-filled thing, and it was, and it made for an amazing season finale. Sebring, I'm just saying, I know it's traditionally held in March, and yada, 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 uh, since IMSA really doesn't have a, uh, a lot of street races to choose from, I would just say, boy, uh, I'm going to go with this general nod um, because Sebring was just amazing. The amount of cars, the traffic and the mistakes, the circuit itself beating up vehicles. We had rain that, uh, or no, I'm sorry, not rain. We had a water leak spring. 
that turned the GTD championship upside down uh, completely. We had all manner. We had folks hitting one another. We had just all kinds of craziness. And transport those cars and that event to my home track at Laguna Seca or a few others on the calendar, we're not having this conversation. So if there's one thing that was reinforced in a positive way, I might say this year, Graham, in a couple of instances, it's the, oh, we're not going to be able to do our traditional season finale at place X. Uh, we're going to have to do something a little bit different. Ooh, some of those decisions or some of those needs paid off in everyone's favor because it was so dramatic. Just on the IMSA side quickly, Petit Le Mans is off in the season finale, and that can be a very uh, drama-filled race as well. So not a lot of criticism there, but... Yeah, if I could somehow make Sebring the finale every year, uh, I just might. What about you, Graham, on, say, the WEC side? If you could pick the perfect season finale among the races on the calendar, uh, strictly for maximum drama to decide titles, where would it end? Well, I mean, you have to say Le Mans because it's just it's it's one great big roulette wheel isn't it that that Le Mans would be the place for the drama but I'm not a fan of actually completing the season there because I tend to think that takes away from the achievement of a championship yep. winner of the circuits that we we go to spa always a great leveler because and of course the later in the year you go uh the the more the chances that you're going to get changeable weather not that that's always been the case thank you the snow in april um but may in fact sorry wasn't it it was may we had the snow but um spa i think would be a cracker be interested to see what comes out of um monza would be an interesting one we, we you know we we should be uh, going there for the the next season and i hope we get to go back to kiel army uh, where we should have gone in 2020 that's not on the calendar for the coming year but i hope that comes back because i've got sort of mixed feelings about the the two races we've seen with the igtc in kiel army where it is a cracking track but when the weather has come on both occasions it's been biblical and that's sort of ruined it. Um, you know, it's all very well having challenging conditions, but when you've got to the stage where those conditions are undrivable, um, then that's not really why we're there, is it? But I think that could make a cracker of a season finale if you get the kind of the timing of the year uh, correct to actually have that happening uh, down in South Africa. That could be a bit of a corker. Uh, and it's you know, it's got the tradition it's got certainly a fan base there and by all um, indications, you know, a growing band of talented young drivers that could very easily find themselves not just in GT3 machinery, but all manner of other things. We're beginning to see that kind of roll out with a couple of the GT3 guys finding their way into LMP2 machinery as everybody appears to be maneuvering for what happens in 2023 and beyond. But that, I think you're right. Uh, I should say, by the way, I'd misread uh, Daniel's question. Uh, he agrees the um, IMSA race at Laguna Seca, he said, was dull um, and predictable. He actually, by the way, said his overall favorite race of the year was the Michelin Le Mans Cup race at Monza. Yep. Um, and, you know, 
it will not be a race that most of the listeners have actually um, watched. But if you are looking for something to entertain you over the Christmas period, they're not that long, those races, just a couple of hours. You can fast forward through the boring bits. Um, it you know, Again, it's another of those support series. It's a bit like the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Um, it always um, doles out fantastic racing. Of course, what you've got, because it is a development series, is the possibility slash probability of someone opening up not a kind of whoop ass but a kind of dumb ass um, mid-race which is going to throw another uh, spanner from our um, our uh, lexicon uh, wrench from yours into the works um, and yeah look beyond look you know if you get that chance to, to kind of choose your your viewing at a weekend look beyond the blindingly obvious imsa WEC and just have a dig into something else maybe something that you know you've heard on this show that people have enjoyed Super GT ELMS Michelin Amon Cup Michelin Pilot Challenge but it's not on your regular watch list British GT Take, there were highlights I oh, found British on GT. CBS Sports <laughs> Network uh, really British, yeah I'm like look at that, that that's yeah, I love it it's a, it's a bar fight without using broken bottles. Use GT3 cars instead. But it's you know it's there is some fantastic racing that is just a little bit off the beaten media track. And the more that we get into this era, and it's coming, isn't it, of customer racing, the more you're going to see drivers and for that matter teams that you are more familiar with. I mean British GT one year was it last year year before was it eight factory drivers. Uh, in British GT, completely bonkers. Um, but the racing is off the clock. And the great thing about it is, much as some people have got a bit of a downer on the Pro-Am side, you see these guys' skill sets developing. Um, I'm literally, you know, just as you uh, you contacted me to, to record the show, just writing up um, an interview now with another of those guys, Naveen Rao, um, by the way, uh, IMSA prototype challenge champion with Matt Bell, the UK Matt Bell this season, moving to LMP2, who is in that crazy race with his LMP2 debut in another car that fell victim to another bit of craziness, the inter-Europol car. And he'll be in an all-Indian crude um, LMP2 for the Age of Le Mans series. And he was telling me his story and, and how, bizarrely, COVID uh, played a winning hand to him because it meant that he was holed up at Thermal Resorts. I think the listeners will know what Thermal Resorts is. Uh, if you don't, look it up. Um, with his driver coach, um, and they had three months of unlimited track time. He found better part of two seconds a lap um, because basically he couldn't go anywhere. Um, so he ended up just taking his Leisure LMP3 round and round and round. So do take a look because there is some awesome racing entertainment out there. And you know what? I think it will open people's eyes to the fact that there's a wide, wide world of endurance sports and of GT racing worldwide. And some of it is absolutely awesome. We're going to move on, MP. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think, uh, did we mention Kevin Perez Federico's uh, Porsche salute uh, at Sebring? Okay. Then uh, our pal John Ranjau, a.k.a. Wojnar, uh, asks, what's the average size of a race shop? Yes. Uh, what's the biggest one you've worked at? Big. Um, the smallest? Small. Um, what? Here's, here's, one, here's one for you, John. If you want to see how big they get, look out for something I was editing until about 3 o'clock this morning. 
And I'll just tell you this. It is um, a walkthrough United Autosports new facility. Oh, my God, is all I'm going to say there. Um, I'm going to give you a few names uh, just as a, a, to whet your appetite. Beyond the LMP2 and the LMP3 and the GT4s and the Extreme E-Buggy, by the way, which we get a great um, close-up view of. Um, let me just start with Rick Mears, Emerson Fittipaldi, Michael Andretti, Mario Andretti, Jody Schechter, Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, Mika Hakkinen, uh, did I say Ayrton Senna, uh, Lewis Hamilton, um, Hurley Haywood, uh, Carlos Sainz, senior, not junior, Rolf Stommelen, um, Alan Jones. They're just a few of the names. Oh, Alex Zanardi. A uh, few of the names that are attached to the cars that are in that workshop right now. Oh, sorry, Dale Earnhardt. Shouldn't forget Dale Earnhardt. Um, that's just a few of the cars that, uh, that are actually there to be seen. That's how big a race shop can, can get to. I've seen smaller industrial warehouses than that place. Absolutely extraordinary achievement by uh, Richard Dean, Zach Brown, and the team. Oh, and I thought you were referring to uh, Level 5 UK. All right, I was <laughs> off a little bit. Damn it. Well, we... Well, we've got others coming because I know I do know that there's there's little that fans like more than getting behind the scenes of a race shop. Uh, so I've got another one of those coming actually, and that that is a look behind the scenes of a couple of the historic race shops that we've got in the UK. So to give you again a, an appetite wetting. Uh, point there one of the ones that dave lord is going to have a wander around and hopefully we get that online before new year last time i was there there were 19 lmp cars in that workshop 19 not group c all lmp1 or lmp2 including at least one car i have never seen before and including by the way you mentioned level five two level five cars uh, in that workshop. Absolutely out, out, outstanding stuff. Was chatting to um, another of the historic preparers today, in fact, uh, who told me, unfortunately, he won't be able to send me pictures of the Riley and Scott Mark 3C or the Lola B0540 that they've just restored because they've just been sent off to France. But uh, would I be happy with the other three LMP cars, four Ferrari 430 GTCs and two Moseleys he's got in the shop at the moment? There are some extraordinary places, if only you knew where to look. So let us do that for you. I have photos of the Riley and Scott Mark Three C. Uh, I forget where, but uh, this, is the, this is the Jim Matthews car. Yes, yes, it um, that, was replete with not awesomeness, unfortunately. But yes, yes. Uh, it looked great. Uh, all right, we're going to we're going to move on. You know how we just did. Mostly favorite stuff, best races of the year, mostly feel-good things. Well, we're going to invert that. We're going to go to something that has worst in a lot of the uh, categories here. We're First of all, Brandon Kratzer. Hey, Brandon. says, worst moment for me was no Ganassi IMSA program. Obviously, I'm a Ganassi racing fan. Well, funnily enough, I had a feeling that you were down a little bit about this, Brandon. So I called Chip. <laughs> Uh, two months ago and said, buddy, I know you're doing a lot in racing. You got the IndyCar thing, got the NASCAR thing. Dude, you even got an electric off-road thing. Can't you just for once think about Brandon 
And uh, he wasn't so receptive to begin, but follow-up call. Finally started to hear where we were going with this, Brandon, how he had a fan who needed an IMSA program. Boom. Chip Ganassi Racing. Cadillac. Eh, his, his original driving lineup, not so inspired. I said, no, 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 no. Brandon, we're, we need to cheer him up, man. We need to give him something. You need to go big. Yep. Kevin Magnuson, Formula One, yeah. here we go. And uh, the, the undergirding on this, the man whose name should always be part of an IMSA broadcast and sung in his sing-songy way by A.J. Allmendinger, Renger van der Zander, uh, plugged into that too. So because of you, Brandon, we do have indeed the thing that is no longer the worst. Because of Chip, we've actually been able to turn that worst into hopefully the best coming here in about a month. Uh, let's see. Worst news, and Graham, you're going to have to weigh in on this for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jean Chauvet says, well, the best, Nürburgring 24, Lamont actually going ahead, despite all the naysaying, took a lot of courage. Worst, though, among the many, BMW effectively killing <laughs> Team Schnitzer. Uh, and then adds, generally, all the jobs lost, lives disrupted this year. Yeah, the... For the longtime racing fan that uh, knows about Charlie Lamb, knows about Schnitzer, knows about BMW, probably has a deep affinity for BMW M3 E30s and box fenders and all kinds of amazing stuff back in the day. Tell about us, Graham. CSLs, yeah. Yes, tell us about this, this split. Well, yeah, I mean, BMW... Um, Anybody that tracks the kind of the, the financial side of the industry will know there are a large number of companies that were in trouble probably even before we got into the depths of um, the COVID pandemic. BMW is one of them. BMW have not been performing well commercially uh, at all. So there was uh, every chance that we would see some kind of retreat from some of their bigger external commitments they were pretty early into the game saying that they're withdrawing from this withdrawing from that um that uh they're coming out of the car crash that was literally dtm uh at the end of the the last rule cycle here um formula e uh joining you know we'll come to another formula e story uh later in the broadcast but out of that but the shocker for very many was that they were going to be um parting weights with two of their long-term uh, teams, their uh, multi-European and world touring car championship team, a bit Mompai's uh, uh, team from Belgium, uh, the team that took Andy Prio to his world titles. But for most, and I'll be absolutely honest, I'm one of them, the one that almost brought tears to my eyes when, when you realise not just the fact that the BMW have taken that decision, but then beyond that, the repercussions for the team, because there are woes already in the in the wake of uh, the death of the beloved Charlie Lamb. And, and for those that, that don't understand why we talk in those terms about Charlie, it is very difficult to explain that unless you've had the opportunity, as I have on more than one occasion, to ask Charlie Lamb a dumbass question. And the kindness and generosity of time understanding that he would take in in 
answering those questions and realizing that the passion that he's got is the same passion that you've got and just that he was a lot cleverer than you were. Uh, but it never showed absolutely the, whatever the opposite of arrogant is. That's Charlie Lamb. Uh, that was Charlie. But unfortunately, the out- outcome of, uh, you know, Charlie's untimely death means that there were further pressures uh, because of the commercial aspects of his contract um, meant that that put further pressure on. But to hear that uh, Team Schnitzer will close its doors is is a hammer blow for anybody that's got petrol running through their veins. And uh, 1967, I believe, MP, was the first time that team ran a BMW um, and they continue to run BMWs ever since. They have run other cars alongside that, but absolutely they've been principally 99% of the time it's been BMW, BMW. I'm not going to list the races and the titles that BMW Team Schnitzer have won because we haven't got time because this uh, podcast is only going to be an hour and a bit long, but it includes Nürburgring 24. It includes the Le Mans 24 hours in 1999. That was a Schnitzer program. It is gutting to know that we're not going to have that team along. And, you know, in a year or so's time, people who maybe have dipped in and out of the sport will be asking the question, where the hell is Team Schnitzer? What happened there? And it's inconceivable that that family-owned team is not going to be part of the sport moving forward. I completely agree with you. Jan Chauvet, uh, Jean Chauvet, uh, a.k.a. Johannes Gauglica. Um, That is just awful. And the other thing, uh, and I won't miss this bit either, there are going to be people listening to, to this um, this uh, podcast. Travesty. Absolutely. That will either be directly affected or will know people have been directly affected by the, the business impact of the pandemic. We're with you. Okay? This is a moment in time which we've said it all the way through. It's been a constant message from this podcast, from you and from me, that we're with you. And if there is anything that could be done to kind of help people to find a way back into this industry, this business, then please ask, you know, ask if there's anything we can do with this, you know, if there's, just ask. We're happy to do what we can do to help. It won't be the answer for everybody. It is that just one of those times when we're having to suck up a lot more bad news than ever we would like. But I totally agree with you. And it's a desperately sad thing to see people whose passion has been turned into their business or their livelihood. And that's been taken away by a factor that's outside anybody's control right now. So look after each other right now. Um, it's going to be a tough year or two, but it's coming back. You can see that the, the green shoots, we are a very resilient breed and it will get back to better days, I'm sure, ahead. Um, next up with this one, MP, is, well, here's a pertinent one for today. comes from Jeff Eastling, um, and he says the worst news for him, AMR, Aston Martin Racing's Valkyrie cancellation, the hypercar, and the co- subsequent ripple effect on the regs. He said his silver lining, though, was motorsports proved again to be resilient. There's a go. The, the, the message just before from eSports helping to fill the gap to nimble calendar adjustments. Racing never stops. We'll come to a couple of those, I think, later. But the Aston Martin thing, two things there. One, Valkyrie at the beginning of the year. That was February, I think. They pulled that before the shutter started coming down on the world. And we finished the year with another bad news story, as we mentioned a little earlier, from Aston Martin. But that did have ripple effects. It, to my mind it's it already complicated the hypercar formula MP 
in them having to move because they had to, because they didn't have another big factory name to accommodate not any old hypercar, but this extraordinary idea that had come out of um, the uh, tortured mind of Adrian Newey, uh, this amazing then road-going uh, hypercar of Valkyrie. And I think, as I said more than once, you almost had got to the stage where you were dealing with three sets of cars and then subsets of cars. And those three sets of cars were prototype-based cars, road-going based cars, and the Aston Martin Valkyrie, because it was simply just not like anything else we've seen. And then beyond that, a further set of subsets with each of those hybridized and non-hybridized. And that was beginning to give me cause for real concern about the technical staff beginning to get their heads around that. What we've ended up with is something that's a little bit more of a level playing field. There are no road-based cars that will be um, taking to the the, uh, the track with the LMH regs as they currently stand. But What about Glickenhaus and his stated desire to drive the 007 to and from Le Mans and whatnot, as he's mentioned? But, but the difference there is Jim is doing it as a prototype that he will then adapt to be a road car, not the other way around. It's gotcha. not a road-going hypercar. Uh, so it's a bit of a – I wouldn't say it's a sidestep because that underplays the, the investment from Jim and Jesse Glickenhaus. But, no, it's not quite the same thing. It's not, homolo- it's not an homologated road car. That's the difference principally here. And I, I think um, you, raise a, you raise a great point, Graham. I'd love to have you drill in on a little bit more here. Hmm. Impact. How how do you think the Aston Martin and unfortunately the very ham-fisted uh, efforts to handle this of, of why the program uh, was not going forward and whatnot, how do you think the impact of the Valkyrie being this almost LMH-defining vehicle, right? Uh, the rendering of it, the, the drawing of yep. it, I should say, uh, widely used by the FIWC, ACO, etc. Wow, look, we have a big commitment, a new commitment, right? Toyota staying, it's awesome and amazing. We're not yep. underplaying that at all, but it's Toyota staying doing the same thing with more or less the same kind of car. Aston Martin stepping up to this big class, using this road-based true hypercar level performance thing this was the groundbreaking thing for lmh one where we think it would have brought out a lot of fans to come and see this crazy looking beautiful sounding v12 powered thing racing uh throughout the world and also enticing hopefully more the koenigseggs of the world the big hypercar supercar road car manufacturers to follow suit because Aston Martin kind of set the trend, opened the door and come fight with us. How much do you think Graham that falling through has damaged that path being followed by others? Since it seems like everybody's kind of sort of going the prototype route instead of the road based car route. It was a standard bearer, wasn't it? it? On two fronts. One, the the brand, Aston Martin, a huge brand. You look at you know any list of the top 20 luxury brands in the world, Aston Martin will be somewhere there in the top 20 and probably in the top five. Um, so it's a huge brand to get on side in your new premier class. The problem, I think, was Valkyrie was a step too far. 
Um, you know, I'm not clear on what's going on with the, the Valkyrie road car, but it looks very much as if it's heading at the moment to be a specialist track car and potentially not even road legal at this point. But this clearly the base car, you can call the thing a base car, uh, is, you know, it's been uh, having some serious growing pains. And then, of course, with the commercial woes that began to get a grip of the throat of Aston Martin, um, that became just a bridge too far. It was a casualty in that war to save the company. But um, you're right. What what it's left, I think, is two things. Uncertainty in the industry, which was a very bad thing at a very trying time. The other thing that we're beginning to see, and we've seen it a lot today in the aftermath of the announcement on GT Pro with Aston Martin, is real honest confusion, not for the people like you and I that live, eat and breathe, uh, racing every day, but the people who dip in and out, and why shouldn't they, that really now are a little bit out of time with where those regulations were and this confusion between LMH and MDH and hypercar and what does this mean and what does that, that mean, et cetera, et cetera. The reality there is, is we've got a bit of catching up to do here. We've got a bit of catching up with people understanding just exactly what we've got and what we've not got anymore. And that, I think, is going to be a real effort by the ACO and IMSA as we move forward towards 21, 22, 23 and this emergence of positivity to get it right about what is it that people are actually watching on their TVs or trackside or we're asking them to buy tickets to come through the turnstiles. That's, I think, where we need to start to work now is to get the language straight, to get the message clear. What is a hypercar? If that's what you're going to call your top class, and the WC are going to call that top class uh, hypercar from this coming year. Whatever cars are in it, whether or not it's LMH, uh, grandfathered LMP1, or in a couple of years' time, LMDH, it will be hypercar. If you're going to call it that, you need to explain that and explain it clearly. It's got easier with the changes that have been made with this convergence. There's no doubt about that at all. Um, but <sighs> there's work to do. There's work to do. Let's let's do the heavy lifting for the public want to attract to this sport. Let's not make it difficult for them to understand what it is they're watching in front of them. Um, Valkyrie, too much too soon, I think is the answer there. Uh, it was ambitious, but uh, it, I think it was pretty clear quite some time before uh, the axe fell there that that was in pretty dire trouble. Uh, there was always hope that people could kind of pull the iron out the fire on this one or the carbon fiber out the workshop but uh, sadly it was not to be and i think the ripples from that mp have led us sadly to the announcement we've got today is the end of the gte program for aston martin um it was just another step too far on a commercial journey that we're going to see more and more manufacturers taking we've seen changes in emphasis from bmw we've seen a more positive one from audi we've seen bentley we've seen lexus stepping away from gt3 uh in europe and that's just a few of the the changes we've seen in the in the kind of the business backing for our sort of motorsport there will be more some may be positive some rather less so uh, but sadly for Aston Martin, it's a fundamental change to them to be now a purely customer racing based brand in endurance racing while they're paying for the world's most expensive stickers on the side of a Formula One car. Hey, there we go. Shots fired. Uh, let's yeah. see. John Schultz uh, says, I'm sorry for Janetta and the ambitions they had for 2020 and beyond. 
their LMP1 program was terminated early. LMDH will definitely happen without them in partition. Sure. Participation in LMH seems unlikely. Another Graham Goodwin topic of expertise. Yeah, it's uh, it's a source of sadness to me. Let me just uh, elements of positivity here. The investment where it went was was spent well. There's no doubt in my mind that was a stellar design of the chassis. I've seen the thing bare naked, and it is, uh, I think, a car that had real potential. Um, much as they have taken more than their fair share of artillery barrage in the past, the AER engine, uh, I've been at several tests for that, had a chance to speak directly and in depth off the record to a number of the technicians that came from AER, and that was looking fantastic. Um, great power, good longevity for that engine as well. Uh, the package was good. I think there were two things to say here. The politics got the better of it. I think the ambition ultimately from Lawrence Tomlinson, uh, he, he just couldn't make that transition to bringing on board the team that could have delivered against the potential for that car. And I think that if there was a mistake, it's a little like that conversation we've had repeatedly about the potential of the 2015 Nissan GTR LM, isn't it? It's if there was a mistake made, it's not putting the right people in a position to do the best they can with the package they've got. I think we may well look back at that car in years to come as being one of those unicorns that could have done something really special. I genuinely think in the era of success handicap, that is a car that could and should, all things being equal, and of course they never are in motorsports, have won WC races. I think it was that good a car. And that's not rose-tinted spectacles, um, you know, fan of something quirky like the Nissan GTR LM. It was just damn quick. Um, watching the way in which uh, the Rebellion team, and for that matter, the SMP racing team at the time, uh, responded to that car's pace in uh, pre-season testing at Test at Aragon was an absolute eye-opener. Um, and... Uh, I will regret for the rest of my time in sports car racing not having seen that car fulfil its whole uh, potential. And I agree with you, LMDH, no. LMH, there have been conversations um, about uh, that car or that chassis being used for something in hypercar. I'm not aware that at the moment they are live conversations moving forward. And unfortunately, I think the politics and the interpersonal uh, disputes have rather got the better of the relationships, you know, between ACO and the higher management uh, at Ginetta. And I hope they don't go down with a whimper here. We've still got an LMP3 car to go and watch, and it's a pretty one. So let's hope we can see uh, Ginetta back on, you know, a international podium uh, with a prototype, and that might light the fire again at some point for the future. Beautiful. Uh, let's see. Where else are we going to go here? Lance Snyder, oh, our minister of mirth. He says, hashtag me personally. Worst thing in 2020 again, driver rankings. How the hell? Uh, mostly full-time uh, IndyCar drivers. How are they listed as amateurs uh, in terms of IMSA ratings? It's beyond me. Get rid of the sneaky silver and platinum. Uh, gold, you are professional. Bronze, you are not. Simple. 
Yeah, but then, I mean, these shows would be half length, Lance. I mean, you know, if we don't have ratings to bitch about, you know, maybe, maybe like BOP driver ratings are adjusted every two or three races. Huh? Ooh. Uh, 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 I and think this one. We destroy people's this, livelihoods. Yes. Yeah, I think there's one thing that would make a massive difference here, and it's something the FIA can do, and they can even do what they love to do, which is spend money. They could do that and make a difference for the good. Announced today, you're going to have a review. Uh, okay, in general of the driver rating system, but specifically of the silver ranking and its place in regulations. Very specifically, that's where the issue lies. If a professional driver will tell you this, because most professional drivers, fully professional drivers, do not come with a budget, okay? They come with talent, and that's what they've got to sell. They will tell you the difference for them between a silver ranking and a gold ranking is an ability to earn a living. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. And I question whether or not uh, the FIA's uh, systems are doing justice to what's out there. Um, I've not got the answers here, but I do know that the the system as we've currently got it is causing real hardship at a time when we really don't want to be doing that. I'd love to hear somebody at the FIA turn around and say, um, we've got this brave new era coming where, if I'm right, we're going to have potentially pro-am teams in the highest level of prototype racing. I think LMDH will see Pro-Am crews at the very highest level. We're likely to see, I think, uh, uh, certainly for a period of time, GT racing in ACO rules racing as a purely Pro-Am formula. I don't think there's a future in the short to medium term for a all-pro class in GT racing. That being the case driver rankings are going to be paramount importance uh, for the success or otherwise the balance or otherwise of these future championships it needs to be looked at now they need to start thinking about what is it that we're going to be faced with at le mans with you know a way into double digits top class and uh, you know a potentially uh, rather more straightened field of GTE AM cars, for instance. I'd love to see them coming forward to say, now we're going to review this, we're going to review the impact of the changes we've got in regulations coming and what that might require in terms of flexibility and dynamism, sorry about that, of the the, uh, driver ranking system. Uh, It's their place to do it. Come on, FIA, step up and give us a bit of a New Year's gift for this one. It needs a look. It may be that they turn around and say there's not a lot we can do within the current system, but I'd like at least there to be consideration for it because you're right. Um, it is one of those things that's it's an ever-present in terms of the uh, the debate, the uh, the argument, if you like, that happens through paddocks and through you know every other electronic medium that we've got access to. Let's take a look. Let's have you know great word a review of those regulations because they've not been looked at in in really sharp focus since these things came in a decade ago. There's been some minor changes around it, but not hugely for a decade. Look at the difference in the uh, in the industry, in the business, in the structure, in the regulations, in the cars, in the championships, 
you know, and of the the the, um, the mix of drivers that are now available since these things came in, we're in a different world now. Let's have a system that's appropriate for it. Yeah, sucker. Bit of a there, there you go. Uh, hey, my turn to, I think, come on, my turn to, to kind of deal out a couple for you here. All right, fine. I was trying to sneak through, but uh, I was trying to be a sneaky <laughs> lead. But uh, all right, you got me. So let's go with so a couple of people are looking at some best news. Well, a couple of uh, worst news in there as well, but best news. Stephen Gates, he says the good, the future of top class sports cars, 2023 should be amazing. That's pretty, pretty clearly uh, looking at LMDH, and that's agreed with by Matthew License. I, I don't remember seeing that name before, do you? No, no. So welcome, Matthew. Best news, he says, LMDH for sure. Favorite race, he says, uh, dated 20, uh, 24 hours was the, uh, seems years ago now. It was almost a year ago. But um, LMDH, and in particular, two huge announcements uh, that we've seen in recent weeks and some more intel that's coming out from a variety of sources. MP, I'll shut the heck up. Just talk for a minute or two about the positive impact that that, convergence that we celebrated back in january that it's taken us a while to get there but boy is it beginning to come on stream now are we talking prototype pervergence by chance uh yeah it does seem like we have more manufacturers taking a serious approach to lmdh so I think we mentioned recently on the show at least one manufacturer has told me they are considering announcing their plans at the Rolex 24 here in a couple of weeks. And I don't know how many will do that there, but I don't think it's going to be too long before we have more saying, yep, we're in, we're going to come play. (sighs) Minus COVID, minus the financial stuff we talk about regularly and the, the negative side of that that's led to so many factories saying, yeah, we're stepping away from uh, motor racing in pure pro classes or mostly pro environments. Without all that, I think LMH is looking really strong. Uh, but knowing that between the two choices, LMH, which, uh, of course, there's a intended budget cap or an intended ceiling uh, of reasonable expenditures involved, uh, but it's still significantly higher than what you would find in LMDH. I just think the way that 2020 played out has ended up pushing more manufacturers towards LMDH, even if maybe it isn't their number one passion play, even if it's not the choice between the two classes where they just cannot wait to get on track with their cars. I think the financial repercussions of COVID and everything else just made it uh, a pretty straightforward choice by more and more that I'm hearing who are looking at doing it or who have been investigating it. And I've come to pretty solid decisions that that's where they think they're going to head. And so is the budget side what ends up being the thing championed by most? It has been by Audi. It has been by Porsche. I think as we read more LMDH manufacturer commitments, you can pretty much buckle in your sports car fan to read comments from CEO such and such and 
uh, chief marketing officer so-and-so that the budget side of LMDH is what led them in that direction. So I don't know if that's a positive, gray or negative. I think it might be just more a sign of the times. Uh, it might be the thing that limits hypercar from taking off, not because it's a bad formula or anything else. Said before on the show, I've written it as well. LMH is what excites me the most because there's freedom and you can really play and you can do a lot of things. There's a lot of creativity there. Just wonder if we did not have uh, COVID, if we would have more manufacturers saying, yeah, we're going to do LMH instead of LMDH. So, of course, I'm happy that my domestic championship appears to be the one that's going to have the healthiest numbers, but I don't want that to be at the uh, expense of LMH because eh, it's a, it is a really awesome concept. Just hate the fact that it looks like the times changed right around when folks are making a decision as to what they should do and which formula they should go forward with. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's, um, it's just been with that extraordinary kind of period of time where, just the point where things looked like they were kind of accelerating in a, in a direction that was going to be really favourable. Down came the shutters, and who knows what uh, we've lost in terms of programmes there. I could probably write a book on that one in the future um, once we've got people to the point where we can get them drunk enough to tell us. But uh, such a shame that what we've seen is LMH... <sighs> not lifting off in the way that perhaps it could have done, but LMDH now with Audi, with Porsche, Honda certainly taking, you know, uh, what looks like more than a close look at it and others. And the, the others bit, by the way, being telegraphed not so privately by a number of very big names uh, in those rooms to, to expect positive news. And as we said, by the way, on last week's edition, even if those manufacturers don't get there for the Rolex 24 to make those announcements, remember two years away before we get those cars into competition, there's time yet for those decisions to be taken, for those announcements to be made and those cars to come out and be righteously um, you know, top level performers in what could be a grid for the ages, really. Um, Can I insert moving- something totally random out of left field, not submitted by fans here? So on last week's episode, uh, I took one IMSA team to task for a just dreadfully, woefully insufficient press release, um, and then got an email being taken to task for taking them to task. So that was just a little bit of fun. Just want to mention that. Uh, but that, that wasn't the main reason for the thought. Got a, a great email that's landed while we're recording from the, again, this is a, a true name for a racing team. Road Shagger Racing, ones who had great success at the Rolex 24 in their Audi TCR entry. I'm sorry, not Rolex 24, the Michelin Pilot Cup race at uh, the Rolex 24 weekend. Um, I just love the fact that they are deciding to continue to race, knowing that it feels like IMSA's Michelin Pilot Challenge TCR class is strictly limited to Hyundai's only run by Brian Hurd Autosport. <laughs> so uh, their opening line in their press release confirming that they're coming back to MPC in TCR with their Audi opening sentence. After finishing as the top 
non-Hyundai in the standings for the second year in a row. Road Shagger Racing is out for Brian Otto, uh, Brian Herta Autosport blood in 2021. <laughs> I love it, right? I mean, look, if you can't take the piss a little bit in your press release, uh, what can you do? So, uh, you know, we're just going to keep mentioning press releases that amuse us or befuddle us, and I look forward to the, uh, the volley of complaints or whatever um, that come in, you know, because, hey, we've got to amuse ourselves somehow. Just a little sidebar here, Graham. Uh, this was sent by one driver and one of the principals, John Morley. So uh, I just replied to him uh, and said, "Sorry, John. The TCR rules only allow Hyundai's." So um, really, yeah. Oh, well, no. yes, uh, yeah. you got you got to read them close. So he just replied saying, "Please don't let this get out." But it's a Scooby Doo type situation we've got going on here uh, when Brian Harda Autosport protests us for not running a Hyundai. After we win Daytona again, we'll uh, pull off the Audi mask to reveal we were actually running a Hyundai all along. Uh, it's an extremely expensive and overcomplicated way to show that only Hyundai can win TCR races. Hashtag rut row. So see this dear week at sports car listeners. That's why we love sports cars. And you know, you know that I cover IndyCar as well. We don't get this kind of stuff in IndyCars. So John Morley. Remember, listeners, keep it to yourselves. Good on you. Yeah, this is all private because between they, us. They'd have got away with it if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. Yes, yes. Oh, anyways, good, good, good stuff. Uh, let's see. Overachiever of the year. We got a couple of those as we wind down the show, uh, Mr. Goodwin. Uh, let's see. Mitch Mortensen. Mitch, I don't know if we've had a question from you as well. Thanks for sending it in. If not, uh, if, and if you have, and we are forgetting, well, it's kind of typical, you know, I can claim that I suck. I don't know about Graham. Uh, you submit overachievers Corvette racing debuted the C8R at Daytona without any huge success. But after that break due to COVID, they absolutely killed it. Uh, yeah, indeed they did. Uh, who was going to predict the ones with the one new car, uh, that is so different than anything they've ever run. were going to learn so much at Daytona, apply all of it without being able to do track testing, which speaks to their computational skills and analysis skills and all kinds of skills and come back and pretty much run the table for the rest of the year with a brand new car. That was just amazing. So great call, Mitch. Uh, Peter Stalley. Graham, do you remember a Peter Stalley question? I think that's a new one on me. Man, thanks, Peter. Uh, He says, overachiever. Overall, he would say race organizers for managing to reorganize so many races and complete so many championships this year. Maybe a nod, Graham, uh, and perfectly spotted, Peter, to the unsung, often, you don't know, who is truly putting on many of the races we go to. We know that, of course, there's a big name in terms of a sanctioning body, and there might be a professional organization uh, within that sanctioning body, LMEM, for example. We think of the WEC, uh, ELMS, whatever else, but it's LMEM behind it all. That's really the called the organizers. But they're not going out and putting you know, uh, tire bales on track and they're not, uh, setting chairs in place in the media center at wherever, uh, there's the track based organizers, uh, as well who play massive roles 
in putting on every single event at wherever it is in whatever series. And I'd say it's more that side that stands out to me, Graham. And again, perfectly spotted. And thanks for that, Peter, where you have to say, name the event that you watched, name the event that you might've gone to Graham to cover. And so many others did, or those who just worked at it, there, putting on the show in their, whatever car they were running or the marshals who are at whatever post, um, and making sure that water was brought to them, that, you know, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. All the, the folks that made the events happen, many of whom you don't know their names, you might never know their names, you might not know the name of their the regional organization, the volunteers, uh, the, the corner workers, the, the ever, pit marshals, and so on. So many folks who make the races possible, who... In a year where it might have been easy to say, nope, <laughs> y'all are infected yep. bastards, diseased bastards, I'm staying home. A lot of amazing folks stepped up and said, nope, this is my sport. I love it. I am going to volunteer. I'm going to step in and make sure that everything functions as smoothly as possible. Uh, so just a general thank you to any and all uh, who helped make the show's happen this year can, can, I, can i just add to that i mean i've been at a fair number of race meetings across europe uh in bahrain as well later in the year and there have been pretty serious restrictions on people's ability to function normally at any and all of those i cannot remember other than a general expression of course why wouldn't you to say it'd be nice when this is over i cannot remember a moaning and bitching session about it. It was all exactly as you've just expressed it, which is absolute gratitude that people are turning out and just doing their thing. It's as normal as it possibly could be. And I absolutely, completely get and understand those of you that be shouting at your mobile device at the moment saying, but we couldn't go. And there's at least one of our uh, questioners here that talked about the disappointment of not having racing in 2021 in the UK for different reasons. Um, the international race is not coming here for a variety of commercial and Brexit related kind of issues. Get all of that. But the passion carries through and it's always a buzz, always a buzz to spend time with people who've got that same genetic defect that just makes us sports car fans. Um, and it's always such a buzz to hear your stories, to hear about the kind of adversity that's been got around. And the other thing to add in here, we talked here uh, briefly, MP, about the uh, alternative plans that had to be put in place. I'm not aware of anything more than a minority of the racing we saw this year that was organised or, sorry, reorganised just once. Most of it, there were at least two contingencies that we got to in a variety of ways to actually get cars on track and people into that paddock an extraordinary feat of resilience from all concerned and thank you thank you thank you for the fact that we're still here talking about it got about 15 minutes left mate before i need Yay. to go start getting mrs pruitt ready for three hours of physical Woo. therapy today yeah and uh, she was not able to really get to sleep last night so we'll see how that goes uh let's see we're gonna go to uh mr summers gill uh thank you for sending in your comeback and overachiever um let's see i'm gonna move on to driver of the year from our pal tom bacon imps's uh -huh. best drivers 
Dane Cameron for consistency week in and week out, and Aaron Tielitz, also known as A.A. Ron, for very uh-huh. impressive speed in the AIM Vassar Sullivan Lexus. Indeed, uh, I would say Tielitz, probably the breakout air quote star of IMSA this year. IMSA doesn't have a lot of stars in terms of like the world knows about them, but at least in our little community, uh, Aaron absolutely made a name for himself that did not exist beforehand. Someone who was on the road to Indy had to divert when that did not happen. Opportunity in sports cars doing the endurance races only, and then all of a sudden got thrown into a full-time seat with uh, Parker Chase and the team deciding to part ways. And so this kid, who we all knew of on the open-wheel side, is a significant talent, uh, but his dream appeared to end. Wasn't sure what was happening in IMSA, Graham. Kind of toiling there with, again, you know, a couple races a year maybe, but career wasn't really going anywhere. And all of a sudden, he's partnering with Jack Hawksworth. And until water gets dropped entering turn 17 at Sebring, looked like they were sailing, he was sailing to a championship. Um, all that got turned upside down. It doesn't change the fact, though, that when we went into 2020, zero people said Aaron Tielitz, championship contender, because they just didn't know about him, plus he hadn't done many races. Throughout the season with numerous wins and just putting in staggering stints, this kid all of a sudden has folks probably pining for his services uh, before too long. So although I've known the kid for a while, love him and all that kind of stuff, even if I didn't, those kind of stories that keep me coming back to motor racing and sports car racing, Graham, because you go, wow, this kid went from zero to everything in one year. Thanks to Parker Chase and the team deciding to end uh, their relationship early. Without that, we're not having this conversation. Uh, Let's see. Daniel Summersgill, uh, team and drivers of the year. Disappointments, you mentioned the demise of LMP1 and GTLM and no Corvettes at Le Mans. Team of the year. I I like this well-spotted at United Auto Sports. Enough said. Driver of the year. Drivers, I should say. Now, here's an interesting one, because I have no idea who the hell the third third one is. Uh, he says, <laughs> Philippe Albuquerque, right? Uh, that's an interesting nod. Nick Tandy, you could almost always throw Nick Tandy in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And Harry King, I have no idea who that Ooh. is, Graham, so you might have to fill me Lock in. Look him up. Well, Harry King, emerging British star, but look him up. Um, he's not uh, been on my day-to-day uh, radar, but so I've read enough about his performance to think we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more of young Mr. King moving forward. For me, team of the year, I don't think you can come close to, well, I guess Corvette, I mean, uh, with with the success that they've had, but United Autosports, what can you say? I mean, extraordinary success in LMP2 in the WEC, in the LMS, LMP3 title added again, and the Le Mans win as well. Um, drive of the year, <sighs> Dane Cameron, absolutely uh, right up there. Um, Felipe Albuquerque, I would actually add into that um, Phil Hansen as the emerging silver rank driver moving to gold and showing resilience under pressure uh, in getting those titles across the wire. I think Phil Hansen's done a great job, but Felipe Albuquerque, both sides of the Atlantic, uh, in the most trying of cir- circumstances. Nick Tandy, the guy's a machine, isn't he? He's just a machine. Uh, and we've got other other people kind of emerging still with 
um, with these these uh, th- these categories. Keeping my eye on a couple of emerging GT stars, uh, Nick Yellowley and a breakout year, I thought, in GT racing with BMW and hopefully more to come uh, with that. Both the Van der Linders, uh, Sheldon and Kelvin, uh, putting it, putting in you know, heavy lifting stints as well. But um, of that lot, if it was me, I'd be tempted between one of the two United guys and simply because it's Pro-Am and he was the Am and the Pro-Am, I'd be going uh, towards Phil Hansen here. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with young Philip, who's now been announced as leading one of the two United cars as a gold driver into uh, the 2021 season in the ELMS. I think he'll be joining, I know he'll be joining, Felipe Albuquerque again for the WEC. Um, and I suspect with a new third driver aboard that car uh, for 2021. Uh, in fact, there'll have to be a new third driver, of course, because there has to be a silver-ranked driver joining them. But uh, team of the year, is there anybody other than United Autosports in the reckoning for that one, MP? I would have to say Corvette for sure. I mean, the, knowing who they were facing, knowing everything they're up against, knowing the odds against them with a brand new car. Uh, yeah, it is extremely hard to look past them. Um, what else? Who else? Yeah, we could probably do this all day. We'll just stick right there. Uh, let's. So, so you say Corvette, I say United. Uh, we'll agree that you're wrong and I'm right. Corvette United sports. There we go. Uh, let's see. Our man Ryan Terpstra, always strange for us here, uh, says, I don't know if this is my own category, but how about Robert Wickens being part of the IMSA iRacing series? Says, give me more IMSA esports, please, but make this one a series for those who call sim racing a hobby. Uh, direction received. Uh, Lance Snyder, as we get down to our final ones. <laughs> Uh, it says, hashtag me personally. One of the silliest trends that continued strong in 2020 was announcing that there will be an announcement. Yeah. Just stop, says Lance. Announce what you want to announce when it's time to announce. I don't want an announcement for an announcement <laughs> that announces an announcement. Uh, I'm with you. Although you just announced that. So, yep. uh, John Schultz, why don't you take that one? Uh, oh, yeah. That's, that, that's a... You know, I, I read this one. I just thought, yes, yes, that, <laughs> that, just that. Uh, people will be uh, aware of my pet peeve and pointless capitalization in press releases. But also, uh, as uh, John Schultz says here, the pointless renaming of the VLN, the NLS. I'm not even going to tell you what NLS stands for, but the VLN, which, of course, is the championship uh, around the Nordschleife at Nürburgring. Um, and he's right. No one's bothered to change, despite the fact it's um, it's actually changed to NLS from VLN. I'll tell you something. I, I, I'm absolutely certain that I've read not just press releases, but also on their own website, uh, the NLS, still calling it the VLN from time to time. John says it never replaced the old term, only supplemented it. It's more ambiguous as an abbreviation in German and similarly difficult to understand for English-speaking fans. Stick with what we know. For, for me, until they come and drag me out of here and beat me to actually in submission, it's going to be the VLN. Yes, that, John. That there. That right there. 
I'm going to read the next one, MP, because I saw this one when it popped up, and I've got things to say here to at 24 underscore lemons. His best news is a rather personal one. His wife is pregnant. Brilliant news. Congratulations. And if this is is the first, your life is going to change, mainly for the better for the moment. Um, Worst news, and this is where you and I can have words, young man. It's due the week we leave for Le Mans. I like that it's due the week we leave for Le Mans, not that we should be leaving for Le Mans. Still, that's what FaceTime was invented for, right? Now, here's the thing. As you should know, and the internet will be screaming at this, as someone in a position where family planning might be a kind of a subject that you want to bring forward, you should have used liberally, not just a highlighter, but a permanent marker on a distinct slice of the calendar. That's not when you want this to happen. Because here's the worst part. It's not just when your baby is due. It's the birthday, not just next year, but the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. Bad move, son. Bad move. Oh, yeah. Well, very true. Although, to be fair, uh, there was no mention as to who the father was. Said his wife is pregnant. (laughs) Eh, Again, we don't want to, we don't assume. We try not to assume here. No, no, no. <laughs> Either way, congratulations. A happy event to come, and that's what we need more of is more good news in the year to come. Well, speaking of good news, we're going to throw in something else just on the fly. That's right. We adapt like racing teams do. Graham Goodwin, one of the eternally awesome things that keeps me amused on a daily basis, Twitter, and yes. the sidebar, the What's Happening portion of uh, t- the Twitter feed. And this is using it in a browser sitting at my desk. Yep. And so based on whatever things it does to figure hashtag, out what it thinks. Hashtag, yeah. Hashtag COVID idiots. Hashtag Donald Trump loser. That one. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a hashtag. Uh, Pence card is one that I saw where there's a <laughs> belief that Mike Pence can overturn the election results. Uh, so <laughs> anyways, it throws all kinds of interesting stuff at me. Just wanted to share one it just added where it felt this is truly a Marshall Pruitt thing. Um, I'll just read you the little brief uh, brief bits here. And this is just my amusement as to what Twitter believes my interests happen to be. Spencer Sh- uh, Sheehan, a lawyer from Long Island, is fed up with fake vanilla, Graham. Um Annabelle Rosa reported on why he says he has nearly 100 lawsuits pending against companies he alleges falsely advertise their products as vanilla. So uh, maybe it's like, hey, Pruitt's a fat guy. We're going to tell him food stories. Uh, Sheehan (laughs) has filed various suits in four states on behalf of consumers uh, who he says have been deceived when buying products like milk, cake mix, or yogurt, to name a few. Vanilla only describes the way the product tastes. It's not always real vanilla, Sheehan said, asserting that the issue is that many products are labeled vanilla, but they are not made exclusively with vanilla beans. Though the FDA, Federal Drug Administration, but I think, anyways, uh, regulates how companies can label their products, Graham. Sheehan argues, some bend the rules. He has requested, this is the part that stood out, $500 million in overall damages concerning the labeling of products as vanilla in New York, Wisconsin, California, New Jersey, 
And we close here with, in a lawsuit filed against Wegmans Markets, Sheehan alleges that its generic vanilla cake mix product is deceptive. It is misleading to describe a vanilla-flavored food as naturally flavored, where it contains vanillin from non-vanilla sources. I'm just telling you that Twitter is, is an amazing thing, and the fact that while scrolling through to see if we had any questions that I we might have missed or that might have come in late, that uh, Spencer Shaheen and his entire life's work being centered around filing vanilla-based lawsuits. That's amazing, right? I mean, there's almost nothing else in the world where you go, yeah, so we love we love motorsports. We invest a lot of our time into it. Whenever we pass on into whatever other world, folks might reflect on the things we did in the sport and mention that as a bit of the core attribute attached to our names. Imagine dying and pretty much the only thing folks can say is, oh, that's the vanilla lawsuit guy. And this dude leans in. A hundred, he's asking for $500 million in damages and has filed over a 1,000 lawsuits or whatever it is. That, that, in fairness, mate, that is a guy that I want to invite. I want to invite to a dream dinner party and then just not turn up. And then serve him with their flavored stuff. What, you know, I'm sorry, but what a what a waste of oxygen, really. Um, it's your it, oh dear, dear mate. I think it's time to say good night. Is it all right? Well, it yeah, is. we should. Uh, let but me look. Before he- we do that, yeah, let's see. Is sorry? there anyone else? We got uh, Mark Cardella. Uh, third attempt. All right. Uh, oh, right. Okay, hang on. Yeah, that's going to be listening. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Um, this is. Do I, do, the, do, should do, we do, read what what Ryan Kish has uh, <laughs> has tipped this as? So we sent yes. out. Yeah. So uh, Ryan prefaces most all the questions with a little little recap or some sort of of hint as to what what's about to come. And in brackets, he placed man who didn't read the post and submitted a normal question. <laughs> I love you dearly. You may not know. Uh, Famously, Ryan does not know what a real restaurant is. He—that's an in joke, but he doesn't know what a real restaurant is. But uh, but that for that young man, you get points. Yeah, Uh, and we love you too, Mark. So thank you for sending this in. Thank you. Do you think Roman Grosjean's crash at uh, Bahrain will give manufacturers and series pause? On future hydrogen power plants, it proved again that rules can't anticipate all crash dynamics. Can't imagine what would have happened to Roman and course workers if hydrogen had been involved. I think there are, the, there are a myriad of issues that came from that appalling uh, incident, the, the principal one of which was the performance of the barrier and what the hell happened to that fuel cell. Uh, because the, in, in normal circumstances, MP, if that car had broken into two halves, the last thing that should have happened is the driver's safety cell being bathed in fuel. Um, so there's some serious questions to be asked. I think the answer here is, of no. course, <laughs> is the answer here is that there's going to be a full inquiry into that incident. There is a deep understanding going to be required of a number of things uh, involved in that. But do I think it should give them course to consider whether or not hydrogen is acceptable? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, the reality is we've been racing kind of 
automobiles in your parlance, incorrectly, of course, cars uh, in the Queen's English. Um, it's not like gasoline. Petrol isn't a highly flammable substance. And we've managed to manage that relatively sanely for the you know for a hundred years and more uh, i think it's it is time to move forward the automotive world is moving you know again starting to get back on its feet and move forward at a pace towards a new era and it certainly seems that hydrogen fuel cell technology is going to be a big part of that at the cutting edge of motorsport in the future and i for one Look forward to what we might see in that new era. Uh, I'm certainly more enthused about that than I am about some of the other kind of current EV technologies. Um, They will inevitably um, be learning some of the lessons that will come from reports into accidents and incidents such as that. But having seen some of the technology that's coming forward, particularly about the way the crash resilience is built into things like hydrogen tanks, it's a fascinating technology. There'll be a lot more to come on that one. Yes, it's a lesson. there are lessons that should be learned. Is it a reason not to do it? It absolutely fundamentally is not. Got two questions or two submissions to go. I'm going to read the first one and then pass off the closer to you. So the first one is from our pal Phil at safe Phil and in the, let me just have Microsoft word count this in the 56 words that Phil Mm -hmm. submitted within them is something sad. He said, uh, Lost his two yeah. Samoyed dogs who used to I'm watch really every sorry, race Phil. with uh, with him and uh, would walk with Phil while listening to podcasts. So we're so- definitely, truly sorry to hear that, Phil. Uh, they, they, by the way, are cousins to the mighty Oscar, the DSC Husky. Samoyed's wonderful dogs. Wow. I'm truly sorry. Yeah. Uh, they're wonderful, wonderful animals. So hopefully there'll be some more animal, you know, companionship in your near future phil but uh i can imagine what a big hole quite literally uh they've left in your life they're not small dogs were they but um uh, god bless you son yeah just about everything else that phil sent in i just want to celebrate because yeah i don't have a goddamn clue as to what you're talking about phil so thank you uh, uh, my my year 20 not 2020 but my year 20 brilliant alms Cancelled hashtag BTCC press day. Saved episode four of at Specutainment with Lucky MP3. Anger at loosing UK rounds of WEC ELMS. Loved IMSA who made the most of year smiling face with open mouth. Brother, I don't know I think, what it is. I, think, I, I think want Phil's- some of it. He's, he's had a party. He's uh, had a party. It, look, it, it wasn't sexting. But it, this was definitely <laughs> drunk questioning. So, uh, Bless and you, Phil, have a, have a much, 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 much better twenty twenty one, brother. Yes, um, and smiling face with open mouth to you, my friend. So, the final question of the of the year. Although we're doing an episode next week, so that would make it not the final episode of the year. Uh, this con- and I'm just reading his name for you. 
because we're going to try not to murder it. Uh, and he sent in a really nice note, by the way, thanking us for doing the show and, and whatnot. And thanks to all of you who've shared similar things. We uh, we do genuinely do this for you guys, and we do it for ourselves as well. But uh, appreciate the appreciation y'all sent in. This comes in from not Nick Dobnak Vinek, not Dicknack Bopnovic, or whatever else you come up with for his last name. Yeah, it's Nick Dovniak. Okay, now I'm stepping out. The rest is yours to close the show. Let's do it. Hashtag me personally feels very flat. uh, (laughs) Feels very thankful, does does Nick, uh, that COVID-19 did not claim the sponsor of everyone's favorite soapbox. He hasn't heard from them in a while. He was worried that funding had run out. Hasn't heard about a certain emporium re-upping for next year. Can you comment on the status of those negotiations? I can tell you those negotiations are ongoing and highly violent. Uh, there will be the director's cut of those negotiations featuring in the next Quentin Tarantino movie due out, as you say, in the stateside in the fall. For now, one more time to come after this one, MP. With thanks to Cooper Tyres, with thanks to the Justice Brothers, uh, with thanks to TorontoMotorsports.com and with thanks to Bell Helmets USA, with particular thanks from me, to you, Marshall Pruitt, and your lovely wife for always finding the time to do this and lighting up the week, uh, it has to be said. And a final thanks to every single person listening to this that's sent in questions, that's joined us on these podcasts, that continues to grow that community. A very Merry Christmas after a god-awful 2020 for very many of you. I hope it brings your families together, either actually together or virtually together um, for the festive season um eat yourselves and drink yourselves silly for a couple of days we've got another one of these shows to close the year for now though a merry christmas that's us for this week we will see you next week for the weekend's podcast <laughs>